Hello Blues fans, Brent Mutis here from the CapU Blues Department of Athletics and Recreation. Welcome back to the CapU Blues podcast after a brief delay. We're back in gear this week and for this episode we head back to the pitch to catch up with one of the all-time greats from women's soccer. Here we go. Episode 4 of the Capu Blues podcast, and we're excited to welcome to the show former women's soccer standout, Sophia Roberts. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and we should confirm also um, for anyone that's listening that may not be familiar, your name while you were playing for the Blues was so- Sophia Hidalgo. So um, maybe you can just catch us up right there where are we speaking to you from and what's life been like for you the last year um i'm currently on vancouver island and i've been here for now almost eight years uh in nanaimo and uh uh yeah as uh, you know it's been an interesting year to say the least but uh, out of Uh, without any disrespect, I guess, to those who have struggled and might have um, incurred, you know, uh, some stress and loss of loved ones. It's been quite the year for us in a very positive way. Um, You know, it allowed us to move forward financially by taking advantage of, you know, all the incentives that, you know, were going on and just to also spend a lot of family time with our kids. Um, I don't know if you remember, but last year around this time, the weather was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and, you know, we spent so much time outside with them. We bought a basketball hoop and taught them how to play basketball and volleyball and soccer. And um, my kids are seven and five now. So they're at the perfect stage in their lives where we could do all those things and start teaching them more sports, um, you know, like just technique and all that kind of stuff. So, so it was fun. And we're also blessed to live in a gorgeous area of Nanaimo where there is hiking trails like blocks away. And funnily enough, before last year, we were always in the Uh, you know, rat race to just fit in as much as you could on the weekends. And like, just every weekend, we'd be like, where do you want to go here and there? And we had never really explored our own backyard. And when we were forced to kind of stay put, not go anywhere, it was the first time ever that we've been on this gorgeous hike that's literally a block away from our house. And you go up to the bluffs, and you see all of Vancouver Island and Georgia Strait, all the way over to Vancouver, and it's just breathtaking. And now it's one of our things that we do all the time, you know, like it's, it really forced, I think, everybody to slow down and value, just value time and family and all these and health, of course. Um, So in that sense, it was quite an incredible year for us. And, uh, and then to, to touch on the kind of opposite side of it, 
uh, we got COVID uh, in in November. And so that was also a kind of like a true test to to everything in our family. Uh, Thankfully, we were completely fine. My kids, my youngest always tested negative, but uh, we swear he must have had it. It's not like we locked him in a room and didn't let him out. Right. So um, my seven-year-old tested positive, but I mean, anybody who's a parent uh, could understand this, that you would know if your kids were sick, even when they have like the sniffles, they right. show it. They, they were bouncing off the walls. <laughs> they, they didn't stop the entire time, you know, when they were supposedly uh, positive for COVID. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, that's kind of encouraging to a lot of people that may be, you know, really stressed over it and afraid of it for their own kids. Um, and then my husband and I, you know, we had like the typical symptoms. My husband lost his taste of smell and, wow. and taste and um and for me, it was quite, um, I, I suffer from a bit of anxiety and it was hard to tell if it was anxiety that I was feeling or if it was COVID symptoms. Cause they're like, okay, so can you breathe? Uh, not really, <laughs> you know, like, and do you feel pain in your chest? I'm like, yes, I do. Um, I phoned into that 811 line, the nurse's line a few times, and they were so helpful and they were able to kind of guide me through it. And I think what I actually experienced was mainly anxiety, not so much severe COVID symptoms. Okay. So yeah, so we're not only kind of ahead in life and then now we're kind of naturally vaccinated a little bit. <laughs> so Right. Well, I, I really love how you put the positive spin on the last year, which has been so trying for, for most of us. And so different that you've been able to reflect and pull the positives out of it and see the, um, the good side of it, which is, um, that's, that's a really healthy way to look at things. I'm really glad to hear that it's gone pretty well for, for your family. And, uh, makes me feel good to hear about your husband too, because we should probably do full disclosure. Uh, (laughs) Mark and I were teammates at UBC in baseball but there's also a blues connection because he was a Capu blues baseball player for the one season before he transferred to UBC where I played with him. So anyway, it makes me feel good to know that uh, Mark is doing pretty well these days too. And you guys have come out the other side of COVID uh, with smiles on your faces. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. That's another thing that uh, Cap brought to me, I guess (laughs) my husband and uh, you know, I feel like, Cap was such a uh, important time in my life. And, you know, the years that I was there, not only for sports, but uh, career wise and life wise, like I say, with meeting my husband, Um, another funny connection on my second year at Cap, there was a new girl that, you know, joined the team. She was actually a previous UCC player. Her name's Adrienne. Johnstone would have been Johnson would have been her maiden name, but Roberts now, and she was engaged. So we were like, oh, you know, we were all kind of young, and she was the first kind of teammate to ever be engaged, and yeah, and she was kind of the talk of the team. And one of the times that we were out on one of our annual trips that we would do for team bonding before the season started, we were in Victoria, and Doug, our coach, you know, I. I 
can say lots of things about him, but we'll save that for after. Um, he would always make sure that we all have a good time together. So we, there will always be, you know, there would not be any strict curfews <laughs> and maybe it should be off the record. <laughs> um, but uh, anywho, he always encouraged us to, you know, have fun and all that. And one of those nights that we incurred, you know, that we had a lot of fun at, her and I were chatting and she's like, holy, my uh, fiance has a, you know, a brother and uh, maybe I should introduce you. And I'm like, sure, sure. Yeah. And then at a later time, a party at my house, then she brought Mark over and that's how I met him. He, so my former teammate is now my sister-in-law. So that's so cool. Family gatherings are a lot of fun. And uh, every time we get together, we definitely, you know, reminisce our soccer years and, uh, and it's been great. You know, it's a, it's, it's been a, another kind of positive thing that's happened out of all that. That's great. I, uh, no, I appreciate this as a bit of a preamble into our, into our interview. You've given us a real good lay of the land of how things are on your side of things. And obviously, uh, thrilled to find out that mostly positive. So, um, as we, uh, sort of use that as a backdrop, I guess we'll, get into how we typically start off here, which is going back to um, growing up and uh, where that happened for you. And w- maybe tell us what kind of role sports played for you, where, uh, where you grew up. Um, I was born in Mexico City and I lived there until I was 12. So I want to say that, you know, most of my childhood was, well, was there. And another thing that I think is very important that led me into sports, my parents, my family, my parents love sports. Um, My mom loves to play volleyball. My dad plays, you know, all kinds of sports. And as I grew up, um, I have two much older brothers and they also love sports, played soccer, and, you know, we were kind of an athletic family. Um, I can remember many of our, you know, vacation getaways, we'd always bring the tennis rackets. And, and, and also my dad is a very, very patient man. I have yet to know another person that has so much patience as him, because if you can imagine my brothers, you know, at the time they'd be like 16, 17, or, or even younger, they'd be like 14, 15, and I'd be six and seven. So obviously I wouldn't have the, you know, technique for tennis or ping pong. We had a ping pong table. He would sit there for hours with me until I got better. Whereas, you know, most normal people would be like, oh my gosh, after an hour, be like, I'm done with this. Let's go do something else. So he, you know, put in the time and put in the hours to, to get me to do all those things. And I always loved sports growing up. I was a bit of a tomboy and uh, I lived in a neighborhood in Mexico where it was gated. And I spent most of my time outside playing sports because um, back, you know, back in Mexico, in those days, there was no organized sports for girls. It was, if there was any, it was for boys only. And I, that was the only time where I could, you know, be, go outside and run around. And most of the friends that I had were boys because I was interested in playing soccer on the street and 
baseball and tag and all those things. And I remember girls, some of the girls in my neighborhood be like, oh, there goes Sophie again, you know, kind of like, ew. <laughs> it's like, you know, they'd be into like their dolls. And I don't think I ever owned a doll until I was like, I don't know. I think I asked for my first doll when I was 12. Before <laughs> then, it was all boy things and bikes and rollerblades. And we used to like jump over garbage cans. And I think my mom was just tired of me coming home with like scrapes all over. And she'd be the one trying to put me in a dress and be like, nope, <laughs> that's not happening today. Um, and then another thing that I believe made me a, a good athlete overall is, um, you know, families in Mexico are big. And my dad has uh, four brothers and one sister. And then out of that family, that was the family that lived in Mexico City and the one that we would see all the time. There was, I think, 11 boys, maybe 12 boys born before me. So I was the first girl with all these boys around. So whenever there was a family picnic or which we would do, I want to say like at least once every two or three weeks we'd go, you know, and, and it'd be like volleyball games and baseball games and soccer games. So I was surrounded by boys playing boy things the entire time. You know, I lived in Mexico essentially. And there is um, an interesting, so, and same at my school at Reese's time, I'd be with the boys playing soccer and they'd be like, come on, Sophie, you'd be on my team. And one interesting story that I have actually is, like I said, there was no organized sports for girls back then. And uh, every year, I think starting like grade three, the boys got to have a team for soccer and they played other schools. And every year the coach would come in and be like, hey, who wants to sign up, you know? And then the boys would raise their hand and, and be on the team. And I believe it was grade four, grade five. One of my good friends said, hey, Sophie, you should be on the team. Like you're, you know, you're good enough to play. So I raised my hand that year. And the coach actually said, nope, no girls on my team. Something like that. And, and even though wow. all the boys in my class were like, well, why not? She's, you know, she's good. She should play. And yep, no, like it was just a black and white, you know? Wow. Yeah, back then. So, but yeah. anywho, so I spent a lot of hours outdoors playing with boys. <laughs> yeah, what a great training ground. Um, um, sort of informal, but in a way you kind of taught yourself a lot of, I guess, physical literacy, all the stuff that you did outdoors. And um, something I think about with kids today that maybe they don't get enough of, just that free play that's unsupervised. 100%. I, um, I've done a little bit of coaching here and there, and I, I'm naturally, like, I love to teach people anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I just naturally enjoy it. And whenever I come across a kid that I see, you know, potential or that they love soccer, um, especially girls, because girls don't tend to do it as much as boys, I tell them, what you need to do is just go, uh, you know, like just go practice on your own, just go kick the ball around, go find a move that you really love to do. And then just try to do it. You know, like those are the things that are going to make you a better soccer player. One of the advantages too, that I think I, I had growing up was um, being born into a culture that idolizes soccer. Right. And you can just tell from people that are from South America and, 
you know, Mexico and the, the UK, like anybody in Europe, like it's, you, it, you have it in you, it's in your blood. Everybody has a team that they're cheering for. The families get together on the weekends to watch soccer matches and, you know, there's the rivalries. And so everybody like, so when I'd go out in the street and play with my friends, they'd be talking about it and they'd be trying to do the move and they'd be trying to do, you know, outdo each other with whatever they knew. And that was just part of my life where I find here in Canada, it, you see it, but for hockey, right. like that's a, like a hockey thing, right? Like everybody is in, in that and, and maybe not to the same extent as it is in soccer in those countries. So even, you know, like I, that just gave me a leg up <laughs> always. Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, but to bring it forward. So you mentioned at the age of 12, I guess you come to Canada and was that to North Van right at the time? Yes. To North Van. Okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I have a very interesting story about that, but uh, long story short, uh, we essentially landed in the airport and my parents knew nothing about Vancouver. Uh-huh. And this one, this was when we were about to move. And we had a Canadian neighbor back in Mexico, luckily. And my mom's dream is to live on a lake in a cabin, like the middle of nowhere. And essentially where we were going, he, she had signed us up for some tiny town outside Ottawa, like <laughs> something crazy like that. And this neighbor blessed his heart said, Hey, do you have, do you have you thought about what you're doing? You're going from one of the largest cities in the world to a tiny town one of the most moderate climates in the world to like, it's like, have you ever experienced minus 30 degrees? <laughs> right. No. Have you ever been to Vancouver? No, you should, you should go check it out. So literally three months before we were to move to Canada, my parents and I came to Vancouver and arrived at the airport, went to the kiosk and asked the lady, Hey, you know, never been like, where should we go? And she said, Oh, you should go to North Vancouver. Huh. Like she could have said, white rock she could not nothing there's nothing wrong with white rock or nothing wrong with anywhere else in vancouver but you know that lady just kind of just solidified our future i guess you know like it was she pointed us to where we did end up loving and uh making our lives there in north van um so so three years later or three years later three months later there we are moving to north vancouver (laughs) instead of this tiny town and I don't know where it was, but uh, far, far away and very, very cold. Yeah, unreal. Like off the, off the word of advice of a stranger. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And when we moved to North Van, um, I, my, I did want to play sports, and I noticed, you know, that there was teams around, and right. My my mom actually said, "Hey, you want to play?" Phone, because I remember the North Shore News used to have, you know, like the the news and then there was the when there was there was like uh tryouts or whatever there was the soccer club the north shore soccer club would have information for contacting them and she made me phone at like age 12 or 13 (laughs) to sign up for a team and uh that's how i ended up on my first girl soccer team and it was i started at silver b i think it was you know there was like a silver b and then silver a and then gold and metro so i you know started at silver b and then the next year i moved up silver a and then i moved up like i think every year i was just kind of skipping a level and 
<laughs> and every team that I would play on, they'd be like, oh, like, where do you come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was a, actually a great experience playing soccer in, on the North Shore. It was. It, al- it also sounds like you grew up fully bilingual. I did. Yes? Okay. Yeah, 100%. Yes, my English when I came to Canada when I was 12 was so-so, but, you know, I was at an age where I picked it up super quick. Right. I remember my mom taking English classes when we were in Mexico as we were about to move and thinking, oh my gosh, her English is amazing. She would be the one that would translate everything when we moved or would go on vacation. And it really only took me about a month or two in, in school at the time to be like, mom, that's not how you say it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, but uh, if it wasn't for her, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. yeah. So from the age of 12, you get integrated pretty quick in sports. Um, so I guess you wound up at Sutherland. Like, is that kind of the neighborhood that you were in at the time? You're yeah. Sutherland secondary. Yes. I was sort of lower mid long still. I lived on 10th for a little bit and then we moved into the Lynn Valley area for a few years um uh, for actually for my entire high school kind of years that's where we were in Lynn Valley so it was great to walk over to high school and uh I loved Sutherland it was a great place for me to grow up there was quite the Mexican community that I that's who I really kind of hung out in high school and again, it was there was this particular family that had four boys and you know as their sons, and they were all kind of around my age. And with them and their friends who were also boys, we'd go to Kirkstone Park all the time and right. just kick the ball around. That, you know, like in between soccer practices and after school and whatever, like that's where we spent our time going there and just uh and just kicking the ball around. And that, again, that was another crucial thing that happened between my years of like 12 or 13 to 18, where that, you know, taught me a lot of different things that you don't learn from your regular practices, right? Your regular teams. Yeah. And in the formal setting, like as you're going through your mid to late teen years in the competitive environment, like did Sutherland have a team that you played for as well as a club team? That seems to be how it goes with a lot of people in the soccer community. Was yeah. That your, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I played on the, like I say, I've always loved sports. So I actually, it would be like my religiously, I would play uh, volleyball in the fall, then basketball in the winter and then soccer in the spring. So that right. was where the kind of like three different School sports, yeah. sports that you could do. Yeah. So if from grade eight till grade 12, I would do that. And then in the spring, um, as I got into like grade 11 and 12, there'd be, I'd be going for sometimes from one practice to the next, to the next. So I, you know, have soccer practice after school and then my club soccer. And then at that age, I was starting to get into like BC teams and kind of some semi-professional teams that were, you know, it's, trying to start out in Vancouver so literally sometimes there'd be like three practices a day and uh, I well I loved it I loved playing soccer so who were who your coaches at Sutherland and then also on your community team um coach at Sutherland uh his name was Billy Copeland 
Okay. And uh, I think he's a big name in the hockey world, actually. He ended up... Uh, there's a Bill Copeland Arena in Burnaby. I don't know if that's the same. Yeah, yeah I've never asked. Yeah. Actually, I ran into him at the Bill Copeland Arena not too long ago. Okay. Because my uh, nephew plays hockey competitively, so... Uh, we go watch him sometimes. And I meant to ask him, like, is this named after you? Or maybe it's like his grandfather or okay. something. But yeah. uh, he became a scout for for the NHL somehow. Huh. I believe. Okay. Maybe I'm making this up. Anywho, he was a <laughs> lovely person and a great coach. It's super fun to play for. Um, I used to help him also manage the boys team. Here wow. we go again, <laughs> talking about boys and playing with, like, and they would be great because I had practice with the boys team as well sometimes so that was and you know I like I feel like I've said so many things about boys and boy soccer and that and I don't want it to come across like women are not good enough um I think women are great soccer players right. but uh the unfortunately for the longest time it's men that have you know been playing and have that passion for the sport more than girls I find that uh, any girl that loves it and can get immersed into that and then us like if we can bring it forward um, I mean, you get that sense when you start uh, playing kind of elite soccer you know when right. I've been around more of the kind of national team players and the BC teams you can totally pinpoint the girls that have that same passion for the sport um, as, as most boys and I don't know why that is but uh unfortunately kind of that's the way it is boys are more like ingrained into just being competitive <laughs> there's a more obvious example of where you can go i think with men's sports well for sure yes that you know it's a, a very visible sort of outcome of what to shoot for yeah 100 yeah Real quick, just a friendly PSA reminder for all your blues, notes, and news. Follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Capilano Blues. Yeah, so so what was the name of the club team and your and then your coach there as well? Oh, I pulled North Shore. Uh, it was the North Shore Soccer Club. Yeah. And, you know, I had a few coaches as I switched from, I went from like the bottom tier all the way to Metro. And once I got to Metro, it was uh, Doug Abercrombie, who was okay. the coach yeah. at uh, Cap College. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the main reasons why I ended up wanting to go to Cap actually, um, Doug is, you know, aside from obviously my dad and my father-in-law, he's, I would equate him to be another kind of fatherly figure Right. In my life, I love him to pieces and he was just always so fun to play for. And I feel like we had a special connection, you know, uh, with all those years kind of playing together. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to meet Doug, obviously no longer involved at cap as a coach. And I'm on the job like 18 months basically at this point. So <laughs> I, but I've heard nothing but good things about Doug and obviously his track record kind of speaks for itself. So much success there. And um, I guess because you played for him in the club setting, you were pretty aware of cap U blues soccer all the way through and, and that that was a potential outcome for you. Yes. Yes. 100%. And then, you know, we actually, you know, at our practices for club, 
sometimes he'd be missing. So we're like, oh, where's he? And he'd be at nationals, you know, right. with with cap and winning. So we did, I was aware of the success that he was having at cap. Um, but I think at the time I had a vision of, and not, I don't want to say big, bigger than cap because it was one of the best decisions I ever made, but, you know, I was 18, I was graduating I was having quite a lot of success playing soccer and I was, you know, getting scholarship offers left, right and center out of like Hawaii and San Francisco and all these sort of places. And so cap was never really on my radar. (laughs) Well, it was, it was, but you know, I was kind of thinking other places and, um, uh, like I said, I was starting to get involved with some initial sort of semi-pro teams that were happening in Vancouver and and playing with much older girls than me at the time who were going to UBC and SFU or had already kind of graduated from there. And mm-hmm. they were really trying to convince me to go to either or. Right. Um And so I guess in my mind, those were my, my choices, you know, and what it really came down to in the end was um, I always wanted to study graphic design, but out of high school, you kind of don't know what to do, but I knew I was good at art. And um, my brother started, um, he wanted to do graphic design and he got into some some other thing I forget (laughs) anywho but he was the one that kind of discovered the idea program for me at cap Uh, because he applied and he actually got denied unfortunately Um, but uh, up until then I kind of didn't even know what graphic design was and it just uh, kind of just put it in my head and I'm like oh that'd be kind of cool thing to do you know so that's in my back then I'm like that's what I want to do and SFU or UBC that wasn't they didn't offer anything like that it was kind of like arts and I I wasn't interested in that and after doing sort of all my research it was either kind of Emily Carr or Capilano that offered the program and to go back to all the U.S. sort of opportunities my mom who I guess fought very hard to move us from Mexico to Canada. And, you know, after being in Canada for about, I guess by then it was like six or seven years, um, we we truly felt like we had just kind of settled yeah. as a family. And, and she asked me one day, sat, kind of sat me down and said, you know, I would love it if you stayed. I would huh. love it if you didn't go. And you're going to go to the States and meet some handsome U.S. guy and you're going <laughs> to form a family over there and you're never going to come back, essentially. Uh-huh. And, and I understood, you know, like I, I also felt that with my, we've always been a family-oriented family. <laughs> you yeah, know, we yeah. love family time and being Mexican, there's a huge um, emphasis on family, right? Like everything's just family, family, family. And and uh, and I I made the decision of of not pursuing any of those opportunities happily just right. staying and then that lined up with Cap College and 
my parents, well, at the time we had just moved and it's the house that they still live in is essentially on the back lot of Cap College. Like it's faster to walk to Cap than to drive to Cap. So I'm like, okay, so it's right there. My most favorite coach in the world is the coach there. And they offer the program that I want to get into. So it just seemed like it was a no brainer. And, yeah. and then they offered me uh, very kindly offered me a scholarship to go play there. So it yeah. was all, it, it all ticked a lot of boxes and, for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So your first semester at cap, I think was 2001 in the fall. Is that right? It was 2001. Okay. Yes. All right. So, I mean, you are very familiar with the coach, obviously with Doug Abercrombie, mm-hmm. um, was there some other players that came along with you from your club team at the same time um, on that initial roster? Was there players on the team that you could competed against that you were now teammates with? Like, how, how do you kind of recall the formation of the roster and your initial impressions of that? Yes. Um, so it was actually a very unique year that year for cap because there was only I believe three returning players from the previous year. So there was a lot of us new players on the team. Um, When I graduated high school, I took a year off. So I came into cap um, sort of like a year later, if you want to say that. And a lot of the girls that came into the team that year were that sort of year below me, mm-hmm. but some of them I did play against at club level. Um, they played for Burnaby yeah. um, players like Deanna Palmieri and Christina Rowe and Lindsay Sadgrove. They were all, and, and we had a big rivalry Burnaby and North shore has, you know, <laughs> for years has had huge rivalry. And, you know, at the time, so like years prior to that, like three or four years prior to that, when I played for that Metro team, Christine Sinclair was on that I was going to ask you about too. her. You so, guys are right in the same age. Range, yeah. I think, so, we, so we played together at, um, you know, when there was a BC teams or whatever, we played against each other for the longest time. And then we played together for maybe a year or two at uh, sort of BC team level. Incredible. Um, that's, you know, that's another story, but uh Um, So on that team, there was kind of a lot of familiar faces that way. And then I did like the rest of the girls were from my North Shore club team, either from my year or from the year below. And uh, it was super fun. You know, the the chemistry on that team was just fabulous and which is rare, not rare, but it was weird to have so many new players and for everybody to like just mesh so well and to play so good together too you know it feels like well that year we won nationals so (laughs) it was always that's a good accomplishment um so it it was definitely a super fun year of soccer yeah that's phenomenal I mean it sounds like it was a pretty smooth transition for you um there was so much familiarity um so, and the other thing too, that I noticed is that, and I sent you a document, I think showing all the, the career goal scorers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it must've like, you guys must've filled the net because I think the five of the top 10 career goal scoring leaders at cap were all right in that sort of 2000 to 2004 window yep. somewhere around like Christina Rowe. <laughs> I think you mentioned her name yes. yourself. And Danny Tavo, Danielle Tavo. Yep. 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 She's uh, so just for the record, you yeah. are the second all-time leading scorer in Cap U Blues women's soccer history. 32 goals in 59 games. 
um, Danielle Tabo, she's two behind you, Sarah Regan. Um, she's, uh, and she only played 34 games. I guess she just played a couple seasons. She's fifth, uh, would have been a teammate of yours. Um, yeah. Christina, like who you mentioned, um, Alisa or Alisa McPhee? Uh, Alicia. Alicia, okay. Alicia McPhee. Yeah. She was one of the other returning players that, that year. So she's Sarah up Regan, there. So Alicia, and then there was, I forget the other player that came back that year, but those were the three, the three players that came back. And yes. Is that how you remember things going though? Like, did you guys just score five, six goals a game? Did it seem like there's a lot of <laughs> goals to be uh, shared around with, but, but five of the top 10 all timers being kind of your teammates, there must've been a lot of goals scored there. I guess there was, yes. <laughs> I might, why lie? But yes, <laughs> yes, there was a lot of goals scored for sure. So in 2001, your first semester, that winds up being a national championship year. So, I mean, do you recall specific moments or um, anything that, that is prominent in your memory about that uh, 2001 season? Yeah, um, actually, it's a bit of a bittersweet year for me. I, I mean, besides all the, you know, fun and success that we had throughout the season, and the accolades that kind of kept rolling in that year. I, on our last game for the BC championships on the final, it was a tough game against UCC. So there was always a big rivalry between us and UCC at the time. And uh, it was, I feel like we were losing one zero and one of those like super tough games. Um, and we tied it up, you know, one, one went into overtime and with like, and, and then we scored in overtime and with only a few minutes left in the game, I was just walking back from one of like, we, I think we missed the goal and there was going to be a goal kick. And I felt like somebody just took an ax and like chopped me in the leg, like in the back. I was wow. like, what was that? And long story short, I, I, pretty much tore my hamstring right in half. Like it was like hanging by a thread and that shaped the rest of my soccer career. (laughs) Oh man. And then you were just walking back. Wasn't in the midst of a, an aggressive play or anything. No, it wasn't a play. I was just walking. I think it was just my muscle just, I don't know, gave up and I, I have no idea how or why, I guess it was just meant to be. Yeah. (laughs) And I pulled off the game and after that I didn't really play at nationals, which is so sad. Like it still kind of just bugs me to this day. Um, You know, I would have this kind of like tape contraption that wouldn't let my leg extend and Doug would only kind of put me in whenever he thought maybe it was needed for me to be on the pitch. Uh, but we we kind of cleaned up for nationals like we were winning each game by seven goals sometimes and so yeah, I'll, you know I'd be sitting on the <laughs> this with our nationals were in medicine hat and it was cold yeah I wanted to so, ask you about that the uh, yeah, fall so sports we, I mean sometimes they host them in places where it's really cold come no, start of November right like so yeah red yes. deer it was probably pretty bitterly cold <laughs> Oh, it was freezing. And me being Mexican, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like, this is what my neighbor was talking about. Uh, well, there'd be like special tents on the side with heaters, but yeah. that's where I was. <laughs> I was sitting <laughs> in the heated 
tent watching my teammates absolutely slaughter all the other teams. And, and, you know, and that was great. It was great that we won nationals and, in, but not to, you know, sound, I don't even know how to say this, but um, not to sound selfish, I guess. It, it was kind of a sort of bit, like I said, bittersweet, you know? When right. The, well, it makes perfect sense, right? Like you, you're obviously happy your team's succeeding, but you want to contribute. Yes. And I knew, you know, like when it comes to like, not that I thrive on recognition, but in, when you're there and there's all the, you know, all national all-stars and like top scorers and this and that. And, and that was right around the time when I was kind of getting scouted by the Canadian national team and the Mexican national team. So it was, you know, I was kind of thriving on all those things to kind of put me in the spotlight so it was hard to just sit in that tent and, and not, you know, and, and knowing that I was playing with such a great group of talented girls mm-hmm. that it was, I, I wanted to be on the field. Like, I think every athlete course, that has yeah. had a devastating injury goes through the same thing. You yeah. know, anybody that's um, competitive, you just can't, you just can't sit. <laughs> you just want to be there. You just want to keep going no matter what. But I was like, my injury was kind of bad enough that I really couldn't. And it was such, so hard, so, so hard. And one of the things I pass on to, um, you know, kids or anybody that I see, like my nephew, he's a very competitive hockey player and he's had, he's only 13 and he's already kind of having quite a lot of success. Um, And I've said it to him, it's like, make sure you take care of your body, you know, like make sure that you're surrounded, like demand the best uh, trainers. And if you're not kind of happy with what you're getting, like make sure you go and seek it out. Cause as a young athlete, I don't think you have a benchmark for, for the treatment that you get, you know, like you're just invincible and you kind of keep going. Right. But uh it is if you have to take an extra week to make sure it heals well, it's better than take having to take an extra year. Um, for me, it really took at least a year and a half to get back into wow. kind of like semi playing form. My yeah. next, my next year at CAP, and you know, in 2002, I know it says there that I played, I don't know how many games, but that year particularly, Doug put me on the roster like we had a conversation at the start of the year and he said you know like hey it looks like we're gonna have another successful year and I'd love for you to be you know a part of the team and like how are you doing how is your leg feeling and like we can put you on the roster and have you play kind of like the minimal amount of minutes so that you can be available for for provincials and nationals so that was kind of like the the plan of attack for that year for me. So I essentially was a bit of a bench warmer and I would train <laughs> until my leg got kind of better. But like I said, it really didn't heal for another year, year and a half. So going back to your question of 2001, that so it was an amazing year, but it was to this day, it kind of has like a dagger in my heart no it's totally understandable i mean you were recognized as an all canadian in 2001 
but you were not on the all tournament team because you didn't play in it. So, but I mean, if you would have had a chance to, to be one of those players recognized, had you been in it, do you remember the, the all Canadian team? It was probably announced at the banquet during the event. Like, did that, did that go on? The, I think the all Canadian team was that were uh, Sarah Regan's also a part of it, I believe. Yeah. I think she was on both. Uh, yeah. You and Sarah Regan were named all Canadians in 01. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I don't, recall I because they choose from across the country and I never you know it was my first year at cap I didn't know any of the other teams across the country so it was you know I don't I don't really recall any of the other girls that would have been on the other teams I know Quebec had a really strong team um so there must have been a couple girls from there um but other than that I yeah no so your oh one year happens. You're injured, I guess, in like the fall of that year, just at the end of the season, and basically take a whole year plus to get back to a hundred percent. Did that offer you new perspective on the game? Do you recall like reflecting back on it? Like you had probably never really been somebody that spent the majority of the time on the bench watching your teammates, and you were kind of forced to do that through the oh yeah. two season. Do you recall? how that affected your outlook on the game? Um, I don't think it affected my outlook on the game. I, I've always been, like I said, I've always loved kind of passing on knowledge and, and taking teammates aside and being like, you know, like next time and, and not to teach them because I'm not necessarily better than them, but just to have like some sort of game plan, I, I remember with Danny Tabo, I really enjoyed playing with her and, and she's one of those players that has that passion, you know, that just, and we would at practice be like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you're here and I'm here. And then you do like a back heel. And then like, then I go in a breakaway, those sorts of plays. Right. And so same idea, like being on the bench, I took it as an opportunity to kind of come up with those things for four players and, and give them a different perspective than just from the coach, you know, like, and try to help out that way. Um, and it, uh, I guess also gave me an insight onto those players who do sit on the bench. And, you know, when you get into the more elite levels, if you're on the bench, you might not play at all. Right. Um, you until kind of you prove to be you be worth of your spot on the field and there's only three subs Um, so that gave me a bit more um, what's the word I don't know (laughs) like I I don't know it's I I admire them I guess because if you're gonna come and train that hard and put on put in the time not to be able to be on the field it's it's hard Sure. Um, so just uh, looking at, at some of the old statistics or the old record books. So in 2002 and 03, UCC, which is University College of the Caribou, and now Thompson Rivers University, they wound up winning the conference uh, in the provincial championships in 2002 and 2003. That, those were probably some, some tough pills to swallow as well, because it was a big rival team for you those years. It was. Yes, it was. And like I said, in 2002, I was still, still not um, 
completely healed. And I remember it bothering me at provincials, just not being able to kind of give it my hundred percent and, and losing both those times. I think the, in 2002, I believe we came in third. So That's we right. Yeah. To the final that year, um, that game, like the quarterfinal that we lost, it was obviously devastating. And then that final game, like we played the, for the third place game, you know, we, it was, it was kind of fun because we already knew that we were not in it for going to nationals. And then we just uh, had a fun game that time. And, uh, and then the following year, same, like losing out, I believe we lost in the final. You that did. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah would have, you know, so this is 03 now. It would have been you and UCC in the finals. Yeah, we lost to them in yeah. the final. So yeah. that was also a tough, tough pill to swallow for sure. Yes. But uh, then we got back to, you got back at them the next following year, I believe. Or we, they didn't even make it to the final the following year. I believe we beat out somebody else. Uh, would have been University College or the Fraser Valley. Yes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's 2004, which was your fourth and I think final season, right? Yes. The players are athletes are allowed five seasons of competition now, but in, at the, in those yeah, days, it was only four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know if they consider you to have one year of eligibility left or not. That's uh, but yeah, the Sylvie 2004 was your final season. And do you recall feeling by that point that you were back to a hundred percent and like obviously a veteran and leader on the team that you had the kind of season that you wanted in 04 to finish up? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, 100%. And it was also a very fun year and going to nationals that year was great. Um, and there's, you know, some games and some instances in that championship that was like, oh, we were so close in like a couple times that we lost by a goal and, and that just, you know, took us out of the running for the championship game. And there was one game that we just fought so hard. And then again, we ended up losing and I remember crying so hard oh. and Doug coming over and I've never seen a grown man cry as much as he did with me that day. Just cause we, we felt like it was our time again to kind of win it together. And, and because it was my last year and, couple of other players like some important players on the team there it was their last year too and and I like I said I feel like we had a special connection with Doug and so right. it was it was in the most uh happy time that day but again we went out the next day and kind of put it all out on the field again and well you had a you had a tough assignment as a team that year so 2004 the national championships were in london ontario at fanshawe college and yes. you drew the host team in the first game on day 1 and it wound up being a two nothing loss so yeah that's and when you get the home team on the first day on their home field that's that's a pretty tough assignment yes yes it was and and i feel like that was the game where there was a very clear I was on a breakaway and one of their girls, I apparently didn't take me down. <laughs> it should have been a penalty kick. And that was, I think that was the first, like when it was zero, zero and you know, like it, there's just little key. Could have changed the game. Yeah. That just changed the entire thing. Right. And, 
So yeah. There's been some hometown <laughs> refereeing going on there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, at least health-wise, you were at your best. And obviously the results on the field didn't follow, unfortunately, for you in, in 2004. But um, you finished strong as a player. And I guess, did you finish your schooling at the same time you finished sports? Did you progress right through that way? I no, I had one more year left because that was 2004, 2005. Yep. Oh, no, yeah, that was my last year. Okay. That was my last year for my schooling too. Yes. So you stayed right on track and you wound up earning your, was it a degree program? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was just a certificate. Like a, Right. And did you transition like, so after your, after your final year playing soccer and your final year of studies at CAP, was the next year like, you know, found a job that was related to your career and soccer became kind of like a, a women's league thing. Like, I guess there's actually some, some more we could get into on your post cap playing career because Mexico comes back into the picture and some pro pro soccer comes into the picture. I think you told us in our pre-interview. So maybe you could just lay that out for us. Well, uh, uh, yes. And actually that all happened right as I was a cap. Um, when, when I was injured, uh, like I say, that time of my life was hard because that was exactly when the Mexican national team was knocking at my door and I'd go train with them whenever they'd be close to Vancouver. So I went to Seattle two times, I believe. Um, if they were in Vancouver, I'd go and train with them. And wow. all this, meanwhile, I was kind of gimpy leg. And um, there was one time there was a friendly that was played at Swan Guard against Canada. And I, I got, I was dressed for the game, but the coach, oh, I, you know, looking at moments in life where you're like, oh, I wish just for a second that he would have put me in the game just yeah. to say, you know, that I was, I have a couple of minutes put towards my name and uh, uh but uh because I was injured the coach like no I'm not gonna you know I I feel like and and it was right when I was playing at cap too so I feel like he felt some responsibility on not making me worse for okay. cap yeah yeah right so that that happens too right like you can't really go and do those things and then get even worse. And then your commitment to your college, who's paying your schooling, then that is right. issue. <laughs> right. So that, that was all, like I say, all happened throughout then. Um, and the reason the national team from Mexico was kind of, I was on the radar, their radar. Uh, like I mentioned before, I took a year off after high school. Oh, right. Yep. And it was my parents that said, Hey, you're done. Like, like I said, my brothers were much older than me. And then I came along. <laughs> I think they were ready to like, okay, no more school. Let's go do something. Yeah. And we're, they were going to go back to Mexico and just visit family, take a year off and go, you know, go to the beach and I'll do all of these things, which was awesome. And me, I was fully immersed into soccer I was like I said I was playing three teams at once and I said well okay fine but I I don't want to stop playing soccer so I ended up playing for a team we went to a city called Guadalajara which is the second largest city in Mexico and that's where we spent most of our time because my mom is from there okay. and I played for Atlas which is a men's uh club down in Guadalajara 
uh, and you like actually this is I played the team the girls on the team were very talented like they had that innate uh, passion for the game they they knew what to do and you know the they haven't had much coaching in the past they just mm. they just knew kind of what to do and when I came into the team uh, they were already they had already started the first um, national sort of competition in Mexico this is the first year they ever had a women's league for for Mexico which I didn't know I just you know came to Guadalajara I'd be like oh, I want to play on a team and like where should I go and then I found this team uh, and they were already kind of midway through their season they were doing quite good and when I went out to their practice the field that they were practicing on you wouldn't like for one of the better teams in all of Mexico for you know being Mexico in soccer the field that they were practicing, it was like bits of grass here and there and like <laughs> gravel and like holes and dirt and it was awful it was just like one of the worst places that I've ever practiced and and you know fast forwarding we ended up winning the national championship there wow. uh so you know to say like the best women's national or the best women's team in mexico and under these sort of conditions for practicing where the men are earning millions of pesos <laughs> you know like it was just an eye-opener and just to for me also coming from Canada and then the girls that I would play with in Canada, I mean, like here is every girl has a good life, you know, like you, you pretty much, you know, you're, you're, you have enough money to eat and you have a roof over your head um, and a loving family, you know, 99% of the time, right. uh, the girls that I was practicing with um, there was a few that would arrive by public transit and over in Mexico, it's way different than here. Like if you, you know, arrive by public transit, it means that you are way below, you know, the average sort of, um, like you're in the poor poverty kind of line, you know, and one of the, the best girl on the team, she ended up getting injured and she was so sad and crying and saying, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to work. And my family is going to go hungry because I provide most of the, you know, money that comes into the family, things like that, that you're like that, you know, that just doesn't happen in a first world country here. And then right. you go there and you're playing amongst these girls that are like, they they're love the sport. They're playing because they love the sport and because they're playing on the streets growing yeah. up. And they were actually great soccer players. And, um, and one of my best, best soccer memories of all time is from that time. And like I said, we went on to win the national championship and we got to play leading up to it. We got to play in some of the biggest stadiums in Mexico city. And the final was at the Atlas stadium and which is the second largest in all of Mexico. And it holds like, 70,000 people probably. Um, And we used to play right before the men's professional games. And uh, so for our final, 
by the time I, I didn't start the game, the coach put me in probably for like the last 25 minutes of the game. So by the time I was kind of warming up to go onto the field, there was 30,000 people watching and cheering for us because, you know, we're the home kind of Atlas team wow. and running up and down the side of the field as I was warming up, I was like in awe, you know, like at that feeling of just being surreal like you're like I can't believe I'm here I can't believe all these people are here I mean obviously they were there to watch the men's team afterwards but still you know and and going on to the field and there was this one play where I almost scored the goalie made the best save of her life but (laughs) like shooting and hearing like the crowd go ah, like that, it's like, it still brings me goosebumps, like thinking about that, you know, it's just, um, it was amazing. And then we ended up winning and it like, everybody was cheering for us and uh, got into like the newspapers there in Guadalajara. And oh, one of the other things afterwards, I went out to, uh, to a bar or club with some friends and one of them said, Hey, you almost scored. That was amazing. What a great shot. And I'm like, how did you know that? Like I, we were on the, on the news, like on the sports highlights, right. yeah. first time ever that I've been on sports highlights. So that was okay. also cool. You know, like it's the, that was a, a great kind of highlight of my soccer play days. Oh, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, one of the things I, I try to ask all our guests is like, what's the biggest crowd you ever played in front of? And like, we, we now know that that is probably for you. And I don't think anyone's going to beat that like 30,000. That's just an incredible, <laughs> most people will never go, will never, never experience the reaction of that many people watching something that they're doing. It's yeah, just, it's, it's just like in, insane, you know, it's just, like I said, I, I froze and I was like looking all around the stadium and I was like, wow. <laughs> That's just you know, the the people are like professional athletes that are used to that. And and when they talk about the adrenaline that comes from playing sure. in front of a crowd, oh, 100%. Wow. Um, and so just to, again, put this in the timeline now. So this is the year off between high school and cap. Yeah. Okay. So that's where the Mexican pro experience happened, not after cap. Not after cap. So yeah, okay. so that was that. And then I came back right into cap Oh, and so at that final game in Mexico, um, the national team, the coach was watching the the championship game, right. and and that's where they he saw me play, and started to you know the phone calls started happening. <laughs> okay, yeah. so did you have a chance at all? Like you, it sounds like you probably had gotten citizenship in Canada uh by that time like did you have a chance to choose or was it sort of pretty obvious which you would try and go for as a national player that's a great question i so we had our residency um, papers that's how it goes you know when you immigrate into canada you become a resident and then you have to do very like amount of years and then once you complete the amount of years that you're supposed to be here um you have to pay to apply to be a citizen. So in when I was at CAP in like 2001, and even before then, I believe I got the package in the mail from the Canadian team asking, you know, to go to the training camps 
Um, and there was a couple of girls on the cap team that were on that list, like Deanna, Paul, Mary, and Lindsay Sadgrove. Um, and at the time we weren't Canadian. And right. I told my parents, I'm like, I want to go to this. Like, I can't go if I'm not Canadian. And, but it took a while and it was, you know, a significant amount of money to, yep. and there was five of us and it's per person. And, mm-hmm. and it, so it took some time. So as that was happening, then the Mexican team started kind of knocking at my door, at my door and without any disrespect to Canadian soccer, because <laughs> it's <laughs> given me my everything. Yeah. Um, I, right at that time, a lot of the Canadian strategy when you watch the Canadian team was a lot of like kick and run. So it was just mm-hmm. like, kick it up the field and let Christine Sinclair get it and score. <laughs> not <laughs> a bad strategy as it turns out, but yeah, not so much about possession or, or, or uh, yeah, or like the flair that yeah. comes with the Mexican, you know, sure. and then, and me having just gone down to Mexico and seen that that is instilled in, you know, all the players and, I, it, it became clear in my head that I wanted to play for the Mexican team for those right. reasons. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so in the season or the year after you finished competing for cap, I guess you're finishing up some courses and um, like, what do you recall about that year? The transition year to the, to not being a student athlete anymore? Uh, uh, well, like I said, I went to school for graphic design and that's what I, do now I'm self-employed but right after I graduated uh randomly Doug my favorite coach in the world uh phoned me up and said hey they're having auditions for um a movie and they need soccer players and especially like to do some trick work for for the main actress in the movie it's like you should go I'm like sure I'll wait that sounds fun I'll give that a try and uh Long story short is movie is the she's the man. Right. The man, yeah, with Amanda Bynes in it and Channing Tatum. Okay. Um, and they ended up selecting me uh, initially to be her double for all the footwork in the movie. Wow. And you get hired on as like special talent. So it was best job, including today, like best job I've ever had. <laughs> I got paid really good money to go. First of all, we had like two weeks of training leading up to the shooting of the movie. Um, And the training sessions that we had were amazing. You know, um, even though I've been part of a lot of elite teams, the trainings that we were doing for this particular movie were, they were led by a coach that I believe he coached in the UK professionally. And it was very interesting the things that they would have us do because as talent for the movie, they already have everything that you're going to have to do in the movie, right? Because they have to shoot it. So you have to be able to perform perfectly what they want you to do and then still pay attention to anything else that they may say, like, oh, you know, like play on or continue on or now, like instead of going left, go right. So there's a lot of uh, as a anybody that is elite, I guess, at their sport will understand that when you play, you need to be able to do what you're doing naturally. You know, like if you're on the soccer field, like to able to dribble without looking at the ball, 
to be able to pass to a player that you know is running, but without blatantly looking at them. You know, it's got to be like a sixth sense of, um, and that, that is just natural for you. And that's what they were trying to teach us there. And with like, this is going to sound like a silly drill, but they would have us pass the ball back and forth. But in between passing the ball, you'd have to look back and name something behind you so oh. that your brain is focusing on two things at the same time. Right. And that's something that is sound like it sounds silly, but just the training itself was unreal. Uh, it was right in the middle of summer. We were playing over at Spanish banks in a little field somewhere. And we'd show up, there'd be like new cleats for us. Um, there was catering, catering crew that would be like, okay, you know, break time. They bring like fresh cut watermelon and like Gatorades and, and all that. And, and like I said, I had a special uh, job because I would show up first thing in the morning and do uh, one-on-one training with Amanda Bynes and the coach, like help okay. him kind of right. help her. Yeah. And then the cast would come. So like Channing Tatum and all the other members of like the cast for the movie would be there because they'd have to do some soccer training too. Right. And then after that, it would be all the, the soccer talent. So all the boys that were part of that movie, because there was like two boys teams that did a lot of the filming. Right. Uh, they're all local. They're, you know, from Vancouver. A lot of the, actually Leah might've been, part of that movie or there's really? a couple of cap players that okay. were part of that movie the boys and oh, okay. i forget their names right now but there was definitely three or four of them that were part of the movie and then mel howard who played with me at cap she was part of the movie too okay and so there was a few of us on there and then so then there'd be that training and like i said that was two weeks of like hey go out on a sunny day to go play some soccer with superstars or like actors and and great soccer players and get treated like royalty and then came shooting time like for filming the movie and you make gazillions of dollars because you're there from like four in the morning until seven o'clock at night and you get paid like double time and triple time and (laughs) all to you know just play soccer and be part of this kind of fun thing did amanda Bynes show any promise as a footballer <laughs> is she gonna listen to this <laughs> i i'd be surprised but you never know once it's gonna I'm be out kidding. in the world right so <laughs> i'm kidding you know what she she's a wonderful wonderful person and she was more interested in like her dog that was there and, <laughs> okay. and chatting yeah. than really playing she would just be like kind of joking around most of the time she wasn't she wasn't a like uh, keen on really learning she would be like kind of trying to do the things but you, you either have the athletic ability or you don't and sorry Amanda but that wasn't you there's a lot of gifts but the athleticism maybe not one of them so exactly well yeah and you know what it being part of that movie opened up my eyes to like the amount of work that goes into putting these things together, the amount of money that like gets poured into all of this. And, um, for her, like she'd be up every day at like three 34 in the morning and going here and there. And like, when she'd show up for practice, like, well, I've already been, I don't know, practicing this at somewhere else for like four hours. And then on to the next thing, you know, everybody kind of views them as having these glamorous lives and, 
getting everything kind of handed over to them. Like it's hard and I would never be able to do what they do. And you just like, all of a sudden the camera's on and you got to be on and you got to remember all your lines and do everything perfectly. And when I was, when it was my turn in the movie. So if you watch the movie at the very beginning, there's this like beach scene and uh, a lot, like you can see all of us girls kind of playing uh, soccer at the beach but uh, my job was to dribble from like A to B and then cross the ball in right onto Amanda's head so that she could do a diving header but you do it perfectly so that you know it would look like she's doing a diving header into the goal have you ever tried playing soccer in the sand <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a great soccer player but the playing the sand is like anybody who's played soccer you know that in the sand it's just anybody's game because the ball doesn't really go where you want it to go and when you have like 300 extras like 25 to 50 crew members filming and you know there's like hundreds of people watching you (laughs) trying to do what you're supposed to do oh my god like, I don't think I, even like in my most important soccer games at the very beginning, right before the whistle goes, I don't think I've been as nervous as I was shooting like for that movie because wow. you're like, oh, this is millions of dollars and people's time. And if you don't get it perfect, you're like, ah. So there was a few takes, time. I guess. They had to Sorry? Cut. There was a few takes that it took to nail it. I was, I think it was three. yeah Yeah. it took me and then I got it like two times and maybe you did it four or five times and then when I was done honestly I was like oh my god great okay I don't have to do that again man well that's such a cool experience and um again thanks for the story that's uh that's really neat I um and a neat kind of way to experience something outside of school and soccer as you transition into the post um post cap world that you that you were making your way into yeah it was definitely definitely a unique experience super fun um so did you find uh your way into the work world pretty soon after that like your job skills that you would have picked up from your the idea program and graphic design were probably pretty applicable right away yes they were uh idea program can't say enough amazing things about it um one of the best things about it is that it's taught by um, you know, uh, by people out in the industry, you know, they're, they're real owners of agencies and self-employed graphic designers, et cetera, et cetera. And that led me to my first job. One of my ex teachers said, Hey, I've been so lucky because that movie thing just kind of landed on my plate. And same with my first job, he just phoned me up and said, Hey, what are you doing these days? And I'm like, ah, well, I was just uh, shooting a movie, but it (laughs) finished yesterday. I was just told yesterday I no longer needed. He's like, Oh, great. Do you want to come and, you know, work for us? And this is, um, it's called St. Bernardine, St. Bernardine mission communications. They're still around. They're very successful. And, uh, I was their first hire, Wow. Um, and then they, I think they're up to like 20, they 25 employees. They never wanted to grow super big. That was one of their, their things of the, of the two partners. And, uh, you know, I had a great probably five or six years working for them. And then I became self-employed right before we moved to Vancouver Island. Right. So it has like, you know, uh, not only so cap, 
I, again, it's such a monumental time in my life. I played soccer, like for the soccer side of things, obviously, but going to the idea program and, you know, it's led me into graphic design. And now I do that as a self-employed person. I met my husband at CAP, who was a baseball player there. And uh, we have a wonderful family, like everything. And, you know, when I go back and I say with my injury and like being bittersweet and like not like, I feel like if I had never gotten injured that day, maybe I would have ended somewhere else. I, maybe I would have gone to Mexico and played, you know, for the national team and this and that and bigger things and then never really settled with Mark and, and have the wonderful life that I have now. (laughs) What a great outlook. I mean, because the thought of regret, right. I mean, you could think, think, Oh, that, what if this happened? What if that happened? But if you're happy with where you are now, then you can kind of look at all those points along the way and say, well, it had to happen that way for me to wind up here. So um, yeah. Think things worked out for a reason for the best, I suppose. Yeah. And so just to bring it to present day, you and Mark have a son and a daughter, or yes. I'm not sure which one's older. Yeah. Daughter's uh, older. Daughter, Lorena, okay. She's seven. And yep. uh, Adam, who is five. Okay. And you're starting to get into the world of youth coaching. From the sounds <laughs> of it as well. Yes. I was kind of like nudged into it actually this year uh we've always had them ever since they're kind of eligible to be in sports um we've had them in sports and this was my daughter's first year of being on an actual team you know they before then is all just drills and they're they don't really have a team so and signed her up uh got an email saying oh the coach uh, we don't have enough coaches. Your, you know, your daughter's team might have to go on a waiting list. And I was like, Oh no. Okay. I'm like, I guess, I guess I can coach. <laughs> and, um, so I ended up coaching and what a, what a year to start coaching actually, because with COVID that was, that was an extra, you know, cherry on top of the, the cake. Cause, uh, at their age, it's a lot of babysitting, you know, and especially sure. like, again, here it comes again, the girls versus the boys. Like I find the boys are a bit more like they do want to play soccer and they want to learn. They want to get better where girls are like picking dandelions and following the geese and like, you know, like a little more hurting. You know, yeah. 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 Or shoelaces are undone and a lot of that. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, like I say, with the COVID rules and keeping them apart, oh my gosh, try keeping a bunch of six-year-olds apart when you're playing soccer, you know, like that was just a true test for my first ever coaching experience for little kids anyways. Um, but it all, yeah, it all was great. Uh, the girls had a great time. And in the end, it was amazing to see the change from the 11 girls that I got at the very beginning to the very end where they were interested and they were wanting to learn more. And, and I can't wait to coach next year. You know, I, I truly, it, and it wasn't my plans like to eventually coach my kids. Cause that's something I really love to do, but I was kind of waiting just for them to be a little bit older to right. tell you the truth. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's so cool that you're able to, 
pass on your expertise. And I know, you know Mark is an athlete as well. So the kids should have good genetics that way and um, <laughs> abilities and athleticism and stuff like that. So um, that kind of brings us up to the present day here. I, I kind of like to finish off these with some um, kind of uh, questions just for color, just for um, just to get a bit of a sense of your personality. And uh, one of the ones was going to be like, what's the biggest crowd you ever played in front of? We know that. Um, another one I like to ask is who's the best player you ever played with or against? Huh. Mm, I would have to say Christine, Christine Sinclair. Yeah. Both and both played with and played against her. Yes. Incredible. Like I think you are either the same age or maybe one year different. So to have her have grown up in Burnaby, which is like a rival organization for you from North Van, um, to have played with and against her. I mean, she, she'd be one of the top women soccer players to ever have lived really. She's know, just yeah. phenomenal yeah. And to, to have had that experience with her is, is amazing. Yes. Yeah, it Our, was. And especially playing with her, um, the couple trips that, you know, we had with the BC team, like we really, again, another one of those girls that just had it in her and, and was, you had the passion for the game and like, it'd be her and I, and maybe one or two other girls that we would love to just juggle in between water breaks. And, you know, and the girls, a bunch of the other girls would be chatting about like boys and their weekends or whatever or clothes. <laughs> and Christina and I would be trying to like head the ball back and forth and see how many headers can we get in and, you know, before dropping it or, or doing crazy moves or, And that's what I mean. Like you either have that in you or you don't. Right. And that's what will take you far. And to have watched her compete on a national level, like she's still going, which is amazing. I know. I thought she was going to retire. I'll always remember watching the London Olympics in 2012. The, I think it was the same on it being the semifinal game against the U S and she scored a hat trick, but we lost four or three. And she, yeah. she got all three of our team's goals in like the biggest stage you could possibly imagine against probably the best team in the world. It's just phenomenal. Like That's, I've yeah. been able to enjoy watching her play over the years too. And to, for her to be local, it's just so it's an incredible story. Um, but anyways, next, the next one. So you got a young family at home. I don't know if you and Mark share cooking duties, but what's your kind of go-to meal crowd pleaser for the family? Go to meal uh, pasta, yeah. Uh, just like pasta with a basic tomato sauce, you know. And then I can like sausage that like, gets. <laughs> actually, call it sometimes. Well, my youngest loves hockey, yeah. and it's been called the uh, Crosby pasta okay. before. <laughs> It, it morphs names because they are, if you eat this pasta, it makes you a really good hockey player or soccer player, messy pasta. <laughs> Sounds like a big pregame meal then. Yep. For sure. Okay. Um, I was hoping you'd say something Mexican, but maybe that's well, coming along. It's, if it, it's a crowd pleaser, yeah. both of my kids like different Mexican things. Okay. <laughs> but quesadillas are big in my yeah. family. Yes. Sure. Yeah um and can you recommend a binge worthy uh show that you've streamed whether you and mark enjoy it or something you like what's what's your favorite show that you've just like binged ah oh my gosh 
there's so many to choose from, but um, well, I, one of my favorites is Modern Family. And okay. yeah, I would have to say Modern Family. Right. Now, is that something you have enjoyed on your own or is that like you guys watch that together? Well, we'd watch it together when it was, you know, on like live, I guess, because it would be the only thing that I would watch on regular TV and like record it. Yeah. Um, but I, like I say, I suffer from anxiety and if there are a couple times where at night I've had a panic attack, I turn on the TV and put a modern family episode on and it just takes me to my happy place. It actually oh. does. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That kind of, uh, was kind of the list of outside of the game of soccer and school questions that I had and kind of brings us to the end here. I don't know if there's anything else we haven't covered that you feel you want to, uh, go over, but, um, any shout outs or influences along the way you want to remember old teammates that you think might listen to this that you want to recognize? Oh my gosh, the list is long and I wouldn't want to leave anybody out, but I, they know who they are and I love every moment that I played at cap and and a special air hug to Doug he uh you know one of the main reasons why I ended up at cap and I hope he can listen to this and he knows that uh the time that I spent there was special and it shaped me into who I am today so thank him and everybody at cap for giving me that well, I couldn't put it any better than that. And it's a great note to end off on. And um, we'll make sure that uh, this is brought to, to Doug's attention. Hopefully he's savvy enough to listen to it. And um, we'll get we'll get him on here at some point too, I think. So yeah, that'd um, be great. anyway, thanks so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and um, all the best. Likewise. Thank you. That was Sophia Roberts, formerly Sophia Hidalgo. Blues women's soccer alum joining us for episode four of the Captain Blues podcast. Thank you for joining us and remember to continue looking for us on Spotify and on Apple podcasts. We'll talk to you next time.